Abundance by Peter Diamandis and Stephen Kotler. One sentence summary. Abundance shows you the key technological trends being developed today to give you a glimpse of a future that's a lot brighter than you think and help you embrace the optimism we need to make it happen. My favorite quote from the authors is, Abundance is not about providing everyone on this planet with a life of luxury. Rather, it's about providing all with a life of possibility. Peter Diamandis and Stephen Kotler Published in 2012 by Peter Diamandis and Stephen Kotler, this book was an instant success with techies, entrepreneurs and science fiction nerds. Contrary to what the news tell you, the world isn't in such bad shape, and after reading this, you'll know why. Abundance is a glimpse at the future and a primer for everyone who doesn't yet feel too optimistic about it. Followed by Bold in 2015 from the same two authors, which helps businesses create more of the technology we need to make it happen, James Altucher turned me on to this one, as he promotes an abundance mindset himself. Here are three lessons to help you think abundantly in a world plagued by the scarcity complex. 1. Forget the news and your amygdala. 2. The world's biggest problems will be solved simultaneously. 3. Think inside the right-sized box, not outside the box. Are you ready for the future? After these lessons, you'll definitely be. Abundance. Lesson 1. Screw the news and irrational fears, today is better than ever. This answers the question, do we live in bad times or good times? If you're convinced we're in a permanent downward spiral and everything's going to get worse all the time, no matter what we do, you're what Peter Thiel calls an indefinite pessimist in 0 to 1. At least this state is curable and you're most likely in it for the two following reasons. 1. Your lizard brain dominates your behavior. 2. You look at the news a lot. The first factor describes the ancient structure of our brain, which isn't all too suited for the modern world. What Seth Godin describes as the hungry, scared, angry and horny lizard brain, which must be quieted, is truly your amygdala, your fear radar, which puts you in fight or flight mode every time it sees even the slightest threat. Most of the things that trigger it today aren't real threats, however, because neither a yelling boss nor a ringing phone or pressing the publish button on a blog post will kill you. The second part is about the news blowing everything out of proportion and focusing on the bad headlines because shock, horror and fear get the most clicks. Calm down, cut the news cord and look at some statistics. You'll see the world has never been a better, safer place to live a long, healthy, wealthy and abundant life. Abundance. Lesson 2. We will solve a lot of the world's biggest problems simultaneously. This answers the question, when and how will we solve some of Earth's biggest problems? It's right that we face many complex problems today, but looking at them individually is a mistake. The future will sure seem hopeless if you think of our increasing need of energy, climate change, environmental pollution, population growth and world hunger as separate problems. But they're not. For example, Eradicating malaria will not only mean better health for African, African people, it'll also improve their economic situation because less people will be unable to work. And more tourists will flock to the continent because it's now safer. Also, since most cases affect children, as mortality rates go down, so will birth rates. 
there's no need for African mothers to bear seven children when they can be sure that their first two kids will actually survive. Similarly, generating high-density energy from algae, which can be grown in salt water, will not only solve the need for more energy, but also lessen the environmental burden because less crop has to be formed for, for the same purpose. You see, the world's most complex problems all relate to each other, which means we never solve just one of them. Progress always means progress in several areas. Abundance, lesson 3. Instead of thinking outside the box, think inside the right-sized box. This answers the question, what is the box analogy for creativity really about? These kinds of innovations can only come from a mindset of abundance. America is often considered to celebrate failure, a culture that's often criticized by other countries. Germany is especially skeptic of this. But USA's failure culture is not about trying to fail. It's about the freedom to experiment and the spirit to get up and try again after learning from a mistake. Nobody ever tries to fail on purpose, but that doesn't mean you should stop trying when what you're doing is important. Innovation competitions with small prizes encourage the right kind of behavior, because the prizes are not big enough to warrant huge companies' interest, but for small teams to innovate with what they're given. For example, MIT holds a competition where teams of five people have five days to run a business experiment for $5,000 or less. The problems we're trying to solve stem from current limitations we can't move past, like batteries being able to only store a certain amount of energy. So confining ourselves on purpose is how we can learn to work with what we've got to create something better. It's not so much about thinking outside the box as it is about placing yourself inside the right-sized box and figuring out how to get out of it. My personal takeaways from Abundance for 2017. I read the summary for Bold just a couple days ago and what Peter Diamandis and Stephen Kotler manage in, in these books is that they somehow mesh culture and technology in a way that makes a lot of sense, which is something I've rarely seen books do. Like these two topics, culture and technology, there's tons of technology books, uh, there's some culture books, um, because culture is more like sociology, history sort of branch, but never sort of tech technology combined with like that's really that really happens right because it's either about one specific te technological trend or one specific cultural trend but their books are more the whole picture of technology and how technology specifically will help culture altogether um bold was more has more of a business flavor to it true but then it's business culture right and technology so it combines those two now this one abundance is more general society or general culture and then um, technology and future technology um about the lessons let's let's take another take another circle i have some addendums so the first one screw the news and irrational fears um so Seth Godin, I think it's from, oh, I don't know exactly which book it is. It might be Lynchpin, but I'm not 100%. I think it's Lynchpin where he first introduces the idea of the lizard brain. 
But the basic idea is, yeah, we still have the same brain we had 2,000, 5,000, 10,000 years ago, mostly very similar. But the things that used to, that we needed to escape from because they scared us, like a saber-toothed tiger or we were suspicious of a certain kind of uh, array of leaves on the ground because it might be a trap or or not eating certain berries, all that kind of stuff. Now, the same responses are triggered within us when we see our boss's phone number on the display, when we see a negative comment in social media, uh, and so on. So it triggers the same kind of responses we had back in the day, but back in the day it actually kept you alive, and now it just keeps you from doing your job. So at least that covers about 95% of the fears I can think of right now, because they're not existential. Um, and... Uh, I think a very simple thought experiment you can make to show yourself that this is all true, that we live in the best time like ever, is not only to look at statistics, and because statistics always put everything into perspective, because they're never like, whoa, like this is so huge, because it's always overplayed in the media. A very simple exercise you can make is, if you if you were born today, you were born today, and or your kid for example, is born today, and you have no control in in a sense of where do where are they born? Um, w- yeah, what country? What what place specifically? What city are they born into? Uh, what family? You don't control any of that, but you control the year. You can pick the year that they are born, or you are born, and so what year would you pick? given these assumptions, right? You have no, have no control. You might end up somewhere in the desert. You might end up in New York City. You might end up in Moscow. You have no control, but you get to pick the year. Which year do you pick? And it's obvious, right? Because you pick this year because you know, like, this is the best year ever to be born. And it's been that way for the past 15, 20, 35 years. I don't know how long, but you would always pick the year we currently live in because... Uh, Given, given everything considered, like all the chances of where you could end up with a disease or how likely it was that you were you were like born into a, a shit system you couldn't get out of like back in the Middle Ages when no only the king had anything to say and nobody else, everybody else were, was peasants and so on. You would pick this year um, or this, this, this era at least, like the 2000s, because it's the best, right? It's the best time ever. Um, because it doesn't get any better. Because on average, overall, all things considered, we are healthier, we are happier, we are we have more technology, our lives are easier, uh, less diseases, less problems, and so on and so on and so on. And those problems we do have, we can fix. So, or we're about to fix. So, yeah, I think that's a good experiment to show you. Well, we don't live in such bad times. We live in the greatest time ever. And... That's why you can safely ignore the news. I never read the news. I had a conversation with a friend yesterday who says, like, don't you feel, like, uninformed if you don't read news? I'm like, no, because, like, you guys tell me. And that was exactly the case because they talked about some terror attack somewhere. And I was like, no, I don't know. And then they explained. And I was like, okay. (laughs) So you never miss anything. Just give it a try. Just, like, stop watching the news for a week and see what happens. Um, I promise you nothing bad will happen and you will love it. Second lesson, we will solve a lot of the world's biggest problems simultaneously. Um, Yes, I would like to introduce another concept called singularity. 
supposed to happen sometime between 2040 and 2070. You can find it in the book. I think there's a book called Singularity. Uh, there's by Ray Kurzweil, which is also on four minute books, which talks about that exact point. At that point, uh, AI, artificial intelligence, will get so much smarter so fast that we cannot predict what's going to happen next. And from that point on, so that means at some point AI will be so smart that AI can build smarter AI and it will keep iterating on itself at such a fast exponential growth rate that we can't predict what's going to happen. Two scenarios. One, the world goes to shit because we get some Skynet matrix kind of scenario where the machines get rid of humans because we suck. Or it goes straight up uh, all, all the way and we have the best life ever. So it's just a theory, right? And um, there's there's tons of variables going into it. But <clears throat> I think that's a good way to highlight that we will solve a lot of things simultaneously very fast after we cross a certain threshold. And we're much closer to that than we think. There's a lot of good shit happening around the world, trust me, technology-wise. Um, um, and that reminded me of one thing. Oh, yeah, for example... And that brings me to the next one, thinking uh, inside the right-sized box. Uh, I talked about batteries, and they can only store a certain amount of energy, right? Tesla has already introduced a battery pack for your home, right? So you could put a wall mount, a battery pack on your wall somewhere at your house, and then power your house with the energy from that, and you get the energy from solar panels on your roof. And so they have a battery pack that can power one house, or you need two to four battery packs per house, something like that. And they have a gigafactory where they can, I think it's a gigawatt or something, it's a massive amount of energy capacity, where they can produce batteries. Um, I don't know if they're producing the batteries, actually, of their, or if those are if those are power farms. I think they're produced, they're production facilities for batteries, I think. Um, and basically what Elon Musk has already said is that, yeah, if we have 100 gigafactories, we're set. Uh, or or a thousand, I'm not exactly sure. Um, he did a TED talk recently where he explained it. But anyways, let's say it's a thousand, right? They need a thousand gigafactories. They built the first one, or they need a hundred, and they built the first one. Uh, Tesla itself wants to build five, six more, and they have the concept, so they can give it to other firms. So think about that. Like in ten years, we could be at the place, and with a hundred gigafactories, we could produce enough battery packs to put them in every house in the world. Meaning every house in the, like humanity would be off the grid humanity would self-sustain itself with clean energy and that's like a hundred factories it takes so we are so close to some of the stuff um it's insane we live in good times and lastly the analogy about the box you might have heard different sayings about these um think outside the box uh think like there is no box um uh, sometimes it says think inside the box, right? Depending on the context. But what Seth Godin said once is to walk along the edges of the box, right? And what in what Abundance says is think inside the right sized box. So the box has to be the right size, obviously, because for what you context, what problem you're currently trying to solve, you have to figure out where's the border, where's the limit, and then walk along the edges of that and then figure out what you can do and innovate and try there. I think that's a good concept, right? Walk along the edges of the right-sized box. That's a good way to approach creativity. All right, enough rambling from me. I hope you enjoyed the summary, and I will see you on the next one.